Hello, and welcome to our second episode of TASME Time, Talks in Medical Education. This is the second episode of our new medical education podcast, which is aimed at trainees and other early career educators with an interest in medical and other healthcare professional education. My name is Dr Rob Cullum, and I'm a GP trainee and member of the TASME committee. For those of you who haven't heard of TASME before, we're the trainee branch of ASME, the Association for the Study of Medical Education. ASME is a UK-based medical education organisation with a focus on promoting scholarship in the discipline. Each month, TASME, along with JASME, our medical student and foundation doctor group within ASME, host a medical education-themed Twitter discussion, and we call this Hashtag MedEdForum. In these, we discuss interesting medical education topics, and going forwards each month, TASME time will be picking up on the same topic and exploring it in greater depth with an expert in the field. Do feel free to join us at future hashtag MedEd forums on Twitter. Further details can be found on the events page of the ASME website and also on our Twitter page. You can also follow along on the evening using the hashtag. In May, both the hashtag MedEd forum and also our TASME annual conference explored the topic of planetary health and sustainability. So for our second podcast, we knew there would be much more to discuss. Alongside my colleague, Dr Katie Stevenson, another member of the TASME committee, we were lucky enough to have a conversation with Dr Veena Agarwal. Veena is a GP trainee in South West London and is currently working as a Chief Sustainability Officers Clinical Fellow. She's based in the Primary Care Team and the Green NHS Team, both at NHS England and NHS Improvement. So make a cup of tea and join us for this episode where we'll explore all things planetary health and how they fit into medical education. Hello and welcome to episode two of TASNI Time. We are going to be discussing everything to do with planetary health and medical education today. I'm Dr. Katie Stevenson, the Vice Chair of TASNI and a GP trainee in the southwest of England. I am one of your co-hosts alongside Rob Cullum, who you have already met from our previous episode. So as some of you astute listeners might be aware of, our conference this year, the TASNI conference, was all about planetary health and medical education. So what is planetary health? Well, It is defined as the health of human populations and the state of the natural systems on which it depends. Urgent attention and action is required to address the extensive damage that humans have created and acknowledge how our health is intrinsically linked to the health of the planet. And therefore, we need to get teaching our students, trainees and healthcare professionals all about this really important topic. So on that note, we have... um, an amazing guest here this evening, Dr. Veena Agarwal, who is the Chief Sustainability Officers Clinical Fellow and is based in the primary care team and the Greener NHS team at NHS England and NHS Improvement. She is a GP specialty trainee in Southwest London and has practiced medicine in the UK and New Zealand and is super passionate about sustainable healthcare, global health and preventative medicine. She is also a co-chair of Greener Practice in South London, which is absolutely incredible. We are delighted to have her here on tonight's episode. Um, Just as a side, she's also interested in women's health and sexual health. And I also read that she plays the ukulele. So that's really fun as well. 
So to kick us off, Vina, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, your career today, and a little bit about your ukulele playing? <laughs> playing? Playing. <laughs> thanks so much for the introduction, Katie, and thanks for having me on the podcast today. So a bit about me and my career to date. Um, so I qualified from medical school in 2016, went and did my foundation jobs. And then I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with my life, my career. Um, so I took an F3 and then an F4. <laughs> um, so for my F3, I thought I wanted to do neurology. So I went and worked in neurology for six months. And that was quite interesting. But I kind of realized it wasn't really what I wanted to do longer term. So then um, I went traveling for a while and then I went to New Zealand. I took up a job in a hospital there and um, I worked there as what they call a med reg for six months, um, which is sort of between an SHO and a med reg here in the hospital. And I had a great time there and got to do lots of traveling as well. Um, and then in uh, April 2020, I came back to the UK and I started GP training in um August 2020 so I did my first year of GP training and it was really around the time of kind of being in New Zealand and then being at the beginning of my GP training that I started to learn more about planetary health and sustainability and then towards the end of my first year of GP training which was about a year ago um, I saw the advert come up for the um, sustainability fellowship which was new and so I decided to apply for it um, and, and got the job and here I am so I've been doing the sustainability fellowship for about eight um, eight and a half months now and it's been brilliant. Fantastic thank you so much for sharing and just wanted to add all the best um, doctors are GP trainees. We're all GP trainees here today. Um, just to expand on that, would you mind telling us a little bit more about your sort of what drove you? You've sort of mentioned that you began to get interested in sustainability and planetary health, but what drove you? Was there anything that piqued your interest? Have you always been a bit of a climate activist? Do tell us more. I actually haven't always been a climate activist. It was something that I sort of knew about, but didn't really see as something that related to health or healthcare. Um, but it was, I was interested in global health at medical school and I, um, was heavily involved with the Oxford Global Health Group and we had lots of talks about lots of different aspects of, of global health. Um, um, some of the things that came up were things like ethical procurement, where we looked at the supply chain of our gloves and, and who was making them and, and how they were made and things like that. But sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Can you explain to our listeners what ethical procurement means, please? Yeah, absolutely. It just means so procurement is basically where we get the goods for the NHS. There's things like our medicines, our gloves, our equipment, anything like that. So it's basically looking at the ethics of that. And um, a surgeon had found that um, when he was traveling in, um, I think, Bangladesh, that a lot of our gloves were being made there by child laborers in quite poor conditions. So I became interested in those issues. But actually, at the time, climate change and health didn't really come up as much in, in the global health circles that I was in. But I think really, when the pandemic started, I really learned a lot more about the kind of environment and health and how, how we encroach on the environment as humans and how that can actually um, you know, cause problems to, to the human health as well. And I started reading more about climate change and became more concerned about it. And actually, one of the things that when it really hit me was when I was... Um, it was January 2020. I went traveling in northern New Zealand just after New Year and um, the sky turned smoggy and the air kind of tasted and smelled very weird. And um, I realized that it was from the Australian bushfires and that was a good 2000 kilometers away over the ditch. And it really hit me, gosh, how how enormous the, the climate crisis was. And I realized that I kind of needed to get involved a bit rather than just uh, hearing about it from a distance. 
that's fascinating. So you actually had this sort of turning point. I think at the conference, actually, we had um, some amazing keynote speakers talk about how they'd always been climate activists. And I felt like that's really good. But actually hearing from you today that you've not always you've known climate change exists and you've been sort of peripherally involved but never really saw that link to healthcare and practicing as a doctor um I think that resonates with me a little bit more than what those other keynotes had said so that's really fascinating to hear that you can develop this interest and you had this really visceral reaction to something quite physical in the environment that sounds quite terrifying and quite life-changing actually Um, The other question I was going to ask you actually a little bit on your sort of career to date is your current role. So would you mind telling us a little bit more about how you got into that? Um, Because there's one thing sort of being interested in climate sort of um, activism and sustainability to working on maybe some projects and then getting involved with your role. Would you mind telling us what journey you went on to get to that place and what you do now? Yeah, absolutely. So it was really right at the beginning of my GP training in one of our teaching sessions that we have in the training program. We had a talk from someone called David Pension, and he actually founded the what's now the Greener NHS, the Sustainable Development Unit. And whilst before that, I'd kind of been doing a lot of personal lifestyle changes about climate, looking at what I buy, who I banked with, etc. I hadn't really thought about the NHS's contribution to climate change as well. So his talk was a bit of a revelation for me. And he talked about the different aspects of the NHS's contribution to climate change, where the emissions come from. And he also talked about he talked about how, why clinicians should be involved, why we should use our voices in climate, and talked about how with you know nurses and doctors are the most trusted profession um, in the country from the public point of view. So this is why we should be involved in, in, in climate action as well, both in our workplace and um politically and it really resonated with me and I um, I discovered the world of sustainable health care the center for sustainable health care and their courses I discovered um, greener NHS and the um, delivering a net zero report which was published in October 2020 and that spurred me on to want to start doing some sustainable healthcare work in the um, hospital that I was working in at the time I think that's really really helpful as a a sort of getting us to think about that and and for a start obviously this is a medical education podcast and immediately it's lovely to think how that personal interest got transitioned into a more professional interest through having that session how how do you think what what do you think our educators that listen to our podcast could do to start to infuse and and empower and passion sorry I've used a lot of m's there uh, but <laughs> to get people interested and motivated to do things I think the way it's communicated is the most important thing so I think it is important that we teach people specifically about how the climate crisis impacts on health but also how healthcare impacts on the climate crisis I also think the way in which we communicate is important because we shouldn't just make every talk really depressing because, yeah, climate change is really depressing. But if we just say it's really bad, it's really bad, we're all going to die, it's the apocalypse, that's not going to make people act. I think what we have to communicate is what the opportunities are for improving health, why sustainable healthcare is good for the climate, but also for patients. And we have to communicate what opportunities there are for people. So actually, 
you know, what can they do in their, I call it the three P's, their personal, political and professional lives. So, um, yeah, how can we act on the climate crisis and how will it benefit multiple factors? I think that's the main way to get people engaged and enthused from what I've what I've seen so far in the last couple of years anyway. Just for the benefit of our listeners, would you mind just going through um, the delivering sort of net zero NHS report and and what that sort of said and, and how we can feed into that as healthcare professionals and trainees and students? Yes, this is a really important document and it can be found on the Greener NHS website. And what the document sets out is the different ways in which the NHS can reduce its carbon footprint. So it's looked at lots of different work streams from medicines to um, travel and transport to estates. There's lots of different areas and it sets out within each of those what the different methods are and how the NHS can reduce its carbon footprint. So I think the document's really helpful in terms of helping us to know, firstly, what should our priorities be? Where are the main hotspots and what are the main things that will really reduce the carbon footprint more than others? And it can help us to identify tangible ways in which clinicians can act on the ground as well. Thank you so much. It's really helpful because not all of us are as au fait with um, this topic as you. So it's really helpful that you've explained that to us. And that seems to give some really tangible, um, strong advice for healthcare professionals and systems on the ground, essentially, to make small and larger scale changes. Um, As Rob mentioned before, um, we are obviously involved in medical education what what things do you think actually could be taken from that report um, and assist medical educators at both an undergraduate and sort of postgraduate level to assist them in their delivery of medical education around sustainability and planetary health? I think it's really important that we embed different areas of NHS sustainability into the curriculum. Um, and I think it's it's really important that it's woven into the different areas of of healthcare rather than just being a say one standalone webinar on sustainability if we could have in teaching on primary care on public health in the anesthetics teaching it could be taught on anesthetic gases um even every area for example surgery there's a lot happening about sustainable surgery and reducing waste there so actually by by kind of using those different work streams and areas it could be fed in but it's also important not just to teach about how healthcare can be more sustainable, but on the different ways in which climate change impacts on health. So I think having that rounded view is really important. So it, it sounds like from what you're saying that this very much needs to be m- much more of a vertical theme that runs something that runs through all curricula within medical schools, all of those sub areas. And is something that needs to be, I guess, considered at each stage and. Um, of, of planning a curriculum I suppose the question that immediately springs to my mind is what what needs to happen next I guess is about how we educate the educators because one educator will educate many more students what what resources I guess would you recommend other than obviously I know that the document you've just mentioned but what other resources would be really good for us as educators to look at to make sure that we then have the right information to pass on. There are lots of different ways you can learn about sustainable healthcare. The Centre for Sustainable Healthcare has loads of resources and also courses that people can go on. So there are general courses on climate change and health. There are also um, courses on specific specialties within. So there's a primary care one, there's an anaesthetics one, a respiratory one, etc. So there's something for everybody, really. 
The other resource that I really like is um, the Royal Society of Medicine did a 10 part series on climate change and health. They reach one hour and they're available for free now on their YouTube channel. Um, there are lots of other websites. The government's actually just done a, a website on sustainable healthcare with loads of different links and resources. So there's a lot of information there as well. That's really helpful because I think I'm conscious that this is new to almost everyone in some ways. It, it perhaps shouldn't be. Um, and I think we all know it shouldn't be as new as it is. But I think it's it's important that we know those places to go. Um, so I think that's, that's really helpful. Um, I suppose the next question is, how do you think this is best taught? So we've talked about the fact that it should be integrated throughout medical school. What what ways of teaching do you think is best? Is it is it lecture based or do we need to engage students in different ways on a topic like this? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think there are so many different ways it can be taught. Lectures are really good, especially for that kind of basic information, small groups and workshops. In fact, I'm sure the students will come up with a lot of ideas because they're a pair of fresh eyes. So when they see things in practice, they could say, actually, do we need to open all of those bits of kits that we're not using? Or, you know, they, they might have some good ideas as well. So I think definitely interactive sessions are important. The other thing is clinical practice. So students will spend some of their time in these lectures and workshops and lots of time on the shop floor. So I guess what's really important is knowing how if clinicians know how to do this and they are demonstrating good practice to students, that'll be a good, really good way of them learning as well. The other thing that's come up is, um, I don't know if you've heard of this thing called Planetary Health Report Card. They're a really great initiative. So I think it started in the US and has now come over to the UK as well, and also lots of other countries, such as even Japan. And what they do is they sort of give a score to the medical schools about how they're doing on sustainability. And each one has a number, I think it's five different metrics that they use. So they score them on each one. So one might be the curriculum. So how much sustainable healthcare is taught in the curriculum. One might be the sustainability of the campus. One might be whether the university is investing in fossil fuels. So there's quite a few different areas. I can't remember all of them off the top of my head now. But there's quite a few different areas that they look at. And so the medical schools are sort of graded in themselves from A plus all the way down to D or even lower on each on each metric and then also given an overall grade so in a way it might create a bit of competition for the medical schools to want to do better and students at different universities have been busy collecting um collecting all the data for that and then uh, putting them into league tables thank you so much for sharing about that Vina. like i just said i was it just sprung to mind um at our conference um this year we had numerous numbers of medical students um coming to us and presenting posters about these planetary health report cards. And I, I'll be completely honest and open. I consider myself relatively up to date with most themes in medical education. And I had no clue this was going on. I felt like, I don't know if Rob feels similarly, um, but I feel like planetary health is something that I felt really weak and uncomfortable with and had this sense of unease that I didn't know much about. And I don't like feeling like that. So we've decided to bring that to the forefront of our agenda. And thank you for joining us again to talk about this. I think it's really important to educate people about this um, this key issue within medical education. So like Vina was mentioning, the um, planetary health report cards are um, these initiatives and they are very student driven, which I think is amazing. And like Vina said, um, lots of good work coming from the ground up. Um, 
if you go to P, it, we're not affiliated to them whatsoever. It isn't a plug, but if you're interested, we'll leave the link to the website at the end of the podcast as well. But like she said, there are five different sort of streams that the schools are marked on, including planetary health curriculum, interdisciplinary research, institutional support, community outreach and advocacy and ca- campus sustainability. So if you've got any students or faculty listening in tonight, it might be something that you want to have a little look into and read about. Um, there was something that I was really interested in earlier. So I'm going to take you back to an earlier point. Sorry, you know, this is how I talk. I go in tangents. But you mentioned that you had um, initially made some changes to your day to day life, including looking at responsible banking, um, sort of making more sustainable life choices. And then you began to make some more clinical changes. I think all the talk about giving us useful resources for um, planetary health education is really important. But actually, I know our listeners love to know about the nitty gritty and the personal when we're sort of listening into podcasts. So I would be grateful if you could share a little bit about some of those personal changes, but also those professional clinical changes you might have made. Yeah, thanks. Really good question. Um, So firstly, on the personal lifestyle changes, it's really personal and I don't want to tell anyone what they should do or or preach to anybody. But in terms of the things I did, so you can look at your diet. So, you know, are you eating meat? Are you eating dairy? Um, You know, what kind of things do you buy? Where do you buy it from? Um, I looked at the way I travel. So whilst yes, I did fly back from New Zealand, I've been a lot more conscious of the carbon emissions of flying and try to keep flying to a, a bare minimum. I might even stop flying at some point, but I tend to just try and go like maximum once a year now. Um, and then things like um, household bills. So who 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 is your energy supplier? I know that's a bit tricky at the moment, but um, if possible, changing to renewable supplier. I changed my bank. So I found out that some banks are massively funding the fossil fuel industry, for example, Barclays, HSBC. Um, and two of the banks that I was with were very big funders of the fossil fuel industry. So there's various websites such as Ethical Consumer, Bank Green, etc., which which um, can tell you which banks are more ethical than others. So I changed my bank account and that was quite easy. And then I also started looking at the things I buy. So am I buying kind of clothes or other things that I don't really need? Because actually the fast fashion industry has quite a big carbon footprint as well. So I started to, I decided I wasn't going to buy too many new clothes. I could just wear the same ones if they fitted me. If I needed new stuff, I'd try and just get things from the charity shop when I needed to. And just be conscious to wear things until the end of their life where possible. And just not buying things like new phones or laptops unless I kind of really needed to. So that was the way in which I tried to reduce my carbon footprint. But saying that, like, it is important to look at that. But I think you can never be perfect. And there's no point trying to put too much pressure on yourself if you, you know, go to a supermarket that they say is a little bit less ethical than another one. Um, So it's all a bit of a balance. But I think there is lots we can do. Um, There is a bit of a debate about personal carbon footprints because the the term was coined by BP. And actually, um, the fossil fuel industry, in a way, want us to think that it's all about our own lifestyles rather than the system and a lot of it is issues to do with the system which is why you know if I do buy a pepper and some plastic packaging I try not to get too upset about it because there's no other option so you do have to find a balance about how anxious you are but I think there is certainly something to be said for trying to live as sustainably as possible and I have found yeah I have found ethical consumer particularly helpful on that um in terms of uh clinical uh changes that I made So I was working in hospital jobs at the time in the first part of my GP training. And one of the projects that I tried to work on was about overheating in the hospital. 
because I actually heard that um, some evidence that the hotter temperatures go. I think anybody that's been in a hospital knows how much they overheat. I think already I'm just like on board with this project. It's it, Why is it constantly like 100 degrees in all yeah, hospitals? The radiators are on in the summer, right? So, yeah, because I heard the evidence that basically anytime you get over 20 degrees, um, the mortality rates start going up. And I realised that this is... So it's bad for patients yeah, as well? Bad for patients and yeah. we're there all the time. So I thought, what are we doing by having the hospital? Oh, my goodness. So I, I started to look at the systems that we had in the hospital and um, and and try and work with them about how, how this could be combated, both for staff and patient health, but also for the uh, amount of energy that was being used. Thought we could, if we could tackle this, we could massively reduce the bills. I wasn't actually very successful in the project that I had, partly because I didn't have a huge amount of time to work on it before I left the hospital for the fellowship, but partly because it's it's quite complicated, um, and hospitals are often quite in quite old buildings with very complex infrastructure. That I have to say, I'm not an expert on estates and pipes and, and heating systems. But I think there has been quite a lot of progress on that since, because there's been this thing called the Public Sector Decarbonisation Scheme, which is basically a big massive pot of funding of you know hundreds of millions of pounds have gone into decarbonizing public sector buildings so I think you know there is some traction happening now but um, I struggled it at the time but it, it was more the process actually and the learning that I got from it that was interesting um, I think now going forward so there's lots more things in the area that I'm an, more of an expert or not an expert on but that I know more about that I would work on such as um, projects on low carbon inhalers for example could probably make more of an impact there <laughs> Well, firstly, I just want to say, um, I think it is very commendable that you as one person have set out to even just educate yourself, educate others, come here to the this podcast and say like, look, this is really bad, like, and actually have a good go at it. And that's really commendable and really amazing. And thank you for sharing some of those personal changes um, to your own lifestyle and some of the small changes that we can make. I think it's also really beneficial that you mentioned that um, this sort of personal carbon footprint has sort of been monopolized and the agenda has been dictated by some of the larger fuel companies. And also just to sort of comment on that as well, like it is I think some of our listeners will be maybe more middle income um, doctors who may be able to afford to make some of these changes. But equally, we might have some people that are lower income students. And actually, that is a lot harder to make those changes in your life. Um, But it is really impressive and something to think about and reflect upon. Um, And thank you so much for sharing that as well. Thank you. No, you're absolutely right. And I think actually, like, I, I tried not to make changes that were much more expensive, partly because I kind of object to that. And I think there's lots of things that you can do that don't cost more. And actually, sometimes they even save money, such as charity shops or just changing your bank account and costs nothing. Um, so yeah, I completely agree. It's not it's it's not something that should you have to should you should have to throw money at to to be able to achieve. Um, but the other thing that I wanted to say was that actually some of the evidence shows that the richest ten percent of the um, the world's population emit 50% of lifestyle related emissions, whereas the poorest 50% of people emit um, 10% of the world's kind of lifestyle related carbon emissions. So actually, there's a huge mismatch in terms of who's emitting carbon compared to who's actually exposed to it. And we know that the most vulnerable people in both in the UK and globally are most exposed to um, air pollution and the impacts of climate change. So um, yeah, it's a massive source of inequalities. But I think, yeah, the more we can do and the more the more people do look at their lifestyle changes where they can, I think that will, that will make a big difference as well. 
Absolutely. You've met, you've put that far more eloquently than I could ever imagine. It's sort of what I had in, what I was thinking about, what I had in my head. But thank you again, Bina, for vocalising. Yeah, no problems at all. Just building on that, I know another piece of work that you've been working on, um, sort of linked, is the big GP consultation. And, and the, the most recent session explored the views of GP trainees, early career GPs, around issues um or the last couple of sessions around health inequalities and also around the greener NHS agenda. Were there any key messages that came out of that about how the wider profession, albeit specifically focused on on the GP workforce, feel about these issues? Yeah, it was really interesting to see the report that came out of that session. So I wasn't in that particular breakout room because I was chairing that session. But what came out of the report was that people felt that they did want more information about the climate crisis and they wanted more information about what they could do and about sustainable healthcare. But they felt that the education that they'd had or were having didn't really equip them to practice sustainably or teach them what what they could do. So I think there's a long way to go. Um, But the, the Royal College of GPs have just edited the curriculum to um, include planetary health, sustainable health care. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with that. I think that's a really important milestone. It's a really important step. The next step is going to be working out how this is actually implemented. So how can we make sure that all 110 or so GP training programmes uh, get sustainable health care into the teaching that happens? But yeah, watch this space. Just out of interest, let's just do a little poll amongst a large number of people here. So all three of us, um, just out of interest, we're probably all at a relatively similar stage of training, probably trained similar years. Who here received any um, medical education as an undergraduate or postgraduate um, on sustainability and planetary health? We can't hear you. We can't. I'm seeing lots of um, shaking of heads. <laughs> <laughs> the silence is deafening. <laughs> There's a big no from Rob. Vina, did you receive much as an undergraduate? Can you think of anything? No, I didn't as an undergraduate. I, I, I went to, um, I had one lecturer who was clearly a climate activist um, and a GP and a big into sort of, um, sort of equitable healthcare and social equity and preventative healthcare. And we had a little bit, but it was very much individual sort of driven because of their interest and I feel like that's probably similar across the board and we're not we're not old we're quite recently graduated within five six years so clearly there needs to be a big shift um within undergraduate and postgraduate education we did um at our conference receive an update from some of the authors of I don't know whether either of you had heard of this before I hadn't I'm going to admit to it but there was um, a consensus statement from Amy and this um, document this consensus statement was published um, just last year in 2021 in Medical Teacher which is one of the big um, um, medical education sort of journals and it was all about planetary health and education for sustainable healthcare. and it was amongst many 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 different authors from across the globe and they they brought together some practice points that um, healthcare professionals should be delivering within medical education. So I was going to just take you through a few of those and maybe we can think about some examples that are happening potentially in undergraduate and postgraduate education. So some of their practice points included that health professionals must be prepared to deliver system-wide changes to mitigate and adapt to the ecological, ecological crisis 
Education for sustainable healthcare uh, must include mainstreaming planetary health as a transversal curricular theme. So we've mentioned that already in terms of undergraduate and postgraduate education. Um, They go wider than sort of just thinking about on the student um, trainee level. And they've said faculty development, eco-ethical leadership and transdisciplinary and interdisciplinary planetary health action are urgently needed. Um, Education for sustainable healthcare guidance plus education for sustainable healthcare learning and assessment resources are available, but they need to be disseminated. And we've given, well, Vina has given us some excellent resources already this evening. Education for sustainable healthcare accreditation standards, indicators and progress monitoring are required. So some really key messages there for across the board that's not limited to medical education, but also the wider clinical, so health professions education as well. Is there anything in, in I don't know whether you've seen that before, um, Vina, um, but is there anything that you would like to sort of comment on or respond to or think about some projects maybe that you're aware of that link into those different key points? I completely agree. And I think it's important to to have this not only in student and trainee teaching, but in every aspect from 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 juniors to senior leadership, because if senior leadership aren't brought in them, then we're never gonna get there really. Um so it's vital that everybody's taught across the board. And um I think I think what the paper said is really right in that we can't just focus on carbon, we have to focus on so many different areas from biodiversity to indigenous um indigenous people's rights and knowledge. To, to the whole impact of, of um, nature and biodiversity and, and the climate crisis. And at the end of the day, it would seem, it, I mean, climate crisis is the biggest threat to human health. It's the biggest threat to humanity. So if we don't teach it, it seems completely crazy. So we have to. I think that's a really good point, actually, that last point. It, like, we'd never not teach about heart disease, for example, or, or something like that that's such a big threat. Um, as such and we talk so much about preventative medicine in spheres around things like particularly cardiovascular disease and yet actually we don't do the same when it comes to planetary health um so i think that's a a really nice thing to reflect thinking about again coming back to that kind of leadership bit i guess one of the things or reflections i've had is i think we need to really be um cautious that what we don't do is teach our students to become better clinicians from a planetary health perspective and do that really well without also thinking from an educational perspective about how we teach them um i we know that a um students travel an awful lot between hospital sites at the moment um often by car um certainly outside of london often by car um and we also quite happily encourage them to do a foreign elective um for example both those things may well have quite significant carbon footprint so what is it how do we avoid being starting to become really good at teaching students about the right things to do on one hand but maintain courses that on the other push um i guess counterbalance that it's such a good point rob um and Honestly, there is no right answer to it. So I know that I've been very privileged in being able to travel quite a bit um, in my life so far. And I've loved that. And I've learned so much from it as well. Um, I learned so much from from seeing directly the effects of not just the climate crisis, but on, on, on the way humans have managed the environment in so many different settings. And I think that's really shaped who I am and what I know. 
but you're right the amount of traveling I've personally done is has had a high carbon footprint and I, I want to change that now but um so it's a really difficult balance because in some ways by students traveling and seeing different parts of the world they will learn so much that that shapes who they are but you know I guess it's just a balance isn't it and maybe we should try and do that get really high value out of the the trips that we do do but not not sort of you know do five trips a year or something but just try and make the ones the occasional ones that we do really impactful um but yeah in terms of the local travel I think it's a really good point and actually it's a real way in which educators not just medical schools but training programs could really think about how they are more sustainable by saying could we keep people in you know one dgh and one tertiary center rather than having them go around lots of different ones there are so many different ways in which they could design training programs to make the travel less and that would also help with you know welfare for um the students and trainees and and um maybe continuity and lots of other benefits as well so yeah it's definitely an important consideration um but yeah not an easy answer no we do like to throw in the occasional difficult question on this uh, podcast but I think it's important that we think about it I agree with you I don't think there is an obvious answer but I, I guess for me what springs to mind is now whenever we make big changes, we think about doing an equality impact assessment to make sure that it doesn't impact on different groups of people. Well, actually, whenever we look at designing things, we should be doing an environmental impact assessment at the same time. And and it's about balancing. If there is a justifiable reason to do it, fine. Like we're not, it's not going to always be about no, never. But it's about making that just, is it justifiable? Couldn't we do something to mitigate? Because there's always going to be a necessary carbon footprint, at least in the medium term. Hopefully long term, there won't be. Um, But in the medium term, there's going to be. And, And so it's about, I guess, for me, it's about thinking about having a process rather than the the clear cut decisions. Definitely agree. Thank you. I think um, you mentioned earlier, this doesn't lead on from this sort of direct discussion, but I just wanted to know a little bit more and I think it might benefit some of our listeners as well. But you mentioned earlier how you went into this um, project about the heating of hospitals um, and how it was massive, but you learnt loads um, and it ultimately maybe didn't result in a tangible change at that time, but you really became invested in this topic. And now you said, there's other things you might find easier to do some, and mention sort of um, inhalers. Are there any projects that you can think of um, sort of locally to you or around the country that you would encourage other trainees, so not just um, doctors, sorry, not just trainees, but allied health professionals and students across the board to get involved with? And what, what would you sort of encourage them to go and do what would they take away from this podcast and what would they change essentially? There are so many different sustainability quality improvement projects you can do and that will really depend on your setting and your role. So what I would say is the Centre for Sustainable Healthcare has loads of resources on what they call SUSQI, which is Sustainable QI. So knowing the principles of QI is really important. So there are loads of different ways you can learn about that um, and the other quality improvement websites as well, which can give you information or even courses. So I think when you know the principles, then you can work out what to do in your area. So part of that might be thinking about kind of what your skills are. So, for example, in in a GP setting, which I'll be working in, learning about what the carbon hotspots are. So, for example, in GP, about 60 percent of the clinical of the carbon footprint is from clinical care, mostly metadose inhalers and medicines. So looking at either a, a quality improvement project on inhalers 
for which there's loads of resources on the Greener Practice website or, or on medicines deprescribing. And there's loads of different um, examples of that, I think, on the Centre for Sustainable Healthcare website. So actually finding out what, you, what your skills are, what your interests are, what your colleagues' interests are, and what you think might be the highest impact as well are all things to consider. But there are so many different things that you can do. You could do an active travel project. If, for example, if you're a physio, you might do something on walking aid reuse. So, yeah, it will just depend on, on your setting and, and what you think might be possible. But there's definitely, I think, something for everybody in different workplace settings. Thank you so much for um, sharing a wealth of information, a wealth of personal experience, your journey into sort of climate activism, um, your sort of journey through learning about sustainability and planetary health and how you made those personal changes and professional changes and how that's taken you to where you are today. Thank you so much. It's been um, really fascinating really intriguing and also has given me some food for thought on what I can do in my own personal life um, and professional life as well actually because it's something I'm becoming increasingly aware of interested in and feeling a little bit maybe sheepish about the fact that I haven't really done a lot so I think this is a really key turning point for myself but also hopefully some of our listeners as well and thank you so much for sharing all of those useful resources um please do go and have a little look at those in including the nhs net zero report um the amy consensus statement um the planetary health report cards and all the other bits and pieces that we mentioned as well so vina what would you say to our listeners to take home from today's podcast and to take home about planetary health and medical education? My top tips are, I would say firstly, that you can do something no matter what position you're in, whether you're a medical student or whether you're, whether you're the medical director, um, you don't have to be really senior, you don't have to be a climate scientist to know everything there is to know about climate change. Um, if you if you want to make changes and you're interested and you're passionate, then then you'll, you'll manage to do something. And it doesn't matter if your project um, it's small or big, but just start somewhere. My second tip would be try not to do it by yourself. So doing these little projects or um, having a you know a support group or whatever is so helpful. Even if it's just one other person that you start with at first, it will really help you to bounce ideas off each other and to get momentum as well from other people. My third tip would be to try and take action in the three P's, the personal, professional and political aspects. So make sure that your voice is heard as a healthcare professional because we are trusted in society. So talk about it, tweet about it, write about it to your MP, to your council, to whoever you possibly can to make sure that they know what you think and what you want to happen. That's amazing, Vina. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and to get to know your thoughts and, and also hopefully really ending on that really positive call to action for everyone to to do their bit um so thank you very much and uh i look forward to speaking to you again soon thank you so much thank you so much for having me thank you very much for joining us today I wanted to say a very special thank you to our guest, Dr. Vina Agarwal, as well as my co-host today, Dr. Katie Stevenson. I'd also like to thank Dr. Asim Javed, who edits these episodes, Dr. Cleone Pardo, 
who designed our logo, and to Am Lunya, who made our theme music. Finally, thanks to everyone on the Tasman Committee who supported with the production of this podcast. I've been Dr Rob Cullum. You can find out more about TASME, ASME and our many other groups at asme.org.uk and please do make sure you follow us on Twitter at TASME underscore UK. Join us next time for our third episode where we'll be celebrating Prize Month with a panel discussion about LGBTQ plus medical education. Thank you again for listening to TASME Time and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Mm-hmm.